Hey everybody! In today's episode, I answer our very first Q&A and help you help your children through challenging situations. Come on guys! We turned out okay. The Modern Parent's Guide to Old School Parenting. I want to hang upside down from the swing set. Welcome to We Turned Out Okay with host Karen Locke Cole. I want to climb to the top of that tree. And now, here's your host, Karen Locke Cole. Welcome, everybody, to episode 17. It's our first Q&A today, and I should say today, too, I'm super excited about the Q&A, by the way, so I'll definitely put that out there. Um, this is this is when listeners ask questions, and I get to answer them. So uh, today we have a really great question, and I should say, too, that we are not filing today under summer camp. This is not a hashtag we turned out, no, sorry, not that. It's not a hashtag old school summer vacay. Even though it's taking place, it's going to air in August. Um, because this one's going under unplanned adventures. Today, we're going to talk about a super challenging situation that my family is finding ourselves in, and also the good that's come out of it, because some good has come out of it. Um, so yeah, so that's why it's not an it's not a summer camp. We're we're pausing summer camp. Sometimes you just cannot, you know, you can't plan for everything. You can't have it all <laughs> work out and be awesome summer all the time. And, and, uh, you know, because this is the kind of show where I really like to, uh, I would like to help you with your parenting and family situations by sharing my own. That's kind of what we're we're getting into today. So, but before I get to that, uh, there's going to be the inaugural Q and A, which is a great question about why kids behave in certain ways with certain people. And before that, I have a shout out. New subscriber and friend of the podcast, Mutaki Ishmael, has made an amazing whiteboard video of a really compelling part of episode five of We Turned Out Okay, called The Four Risks That We Take With Our Children's Well-Being Every Day, or something like that. Or maybe it's with our children's well-being too often or something like that. Anyway, it's a great episode. It's the most downloaded episode of the podcast, episode five. So far, anyway, maybe when you're listening to this, other ones will have surpassed it. I don't know, but you have to see it. Uh, the whiteboard. It's Mutaki's whiteboard video talent is just thrilling. And he took one of my favorite moments in that podcast episode and he chose to illustrate that. And I think what I really like about it is I think it's going to give you a different understanding. Like it'll help you understand that particular risk in a whole new way because you're seeing it. And it's just neat. He, he basically took me, you hear me talking about Lenore Skenazy's book. Uh, about a section of Lenore Skenazy's book. The book is called Free Range Kids. And there's a part in it where she is uh, discussing a study by, um, I forget, I forget who did the study, but it's a it's an academic study. You know, it's a big, big deal. Uh, really sort of a peer reviewed, very, uh, you know, very factual study about how likely kids are to get kidnapped. And so Mutaki starts off with me. In fact, you only ever hear my voice, but basically you hear me reading from this book. And then um, while I'm reading, while you hear my voice, you also see this whiteboard video being like drawn in in front of you. It's really cool. It's very special. Um, I, I, you know, one of these days I'm going to ask Mutaki to, uh, to make a, a whiteboard video kind of showing what the podcast is all about. 
And, uh, and when I do that, I'm going to I'm going to put it on my front page, on the homepage, and I'm just going to shout all about it. And I'm also hoping, because I just think this is such a cool, it's it's funny. It's fun and funny. It's a good way to, to kind of show information and, and help people understand. And uh, so what I really hope to do is to someday have, like, maybe maybe you guys can vote on what are your favorite episodes, and Mutaki could um, illustrate them in a whiteboard video. Because it's just such a cool thing. It's such a cool thing. So anyway, there's there's a link to it in these show notes. Um, it's a it's it's uploaded onto my YouTube channel, and I'm gonna give the video its own blog post at some point during this month. And I think this is a really good time to say too. I've decided that for reasons that will become clear in our when we get to the helping your child cope with challenging situations portion of today, uh, I wanted to let you know that I've been doing one blog post per week. And I've decided to go back to one blog post every other week. In other words, two a month. Um, and we'll get more into why later. But anyway, uh, I just wanted to let you know that the podcast is still going to be, we'll get the same format. I interview somebody who you guys are going to just love because it's, you know, this person has a lot to to share with us about parenting or some aspect of life that, that you know, we, we need to know about. And then the uh, the other one, so every other episode is a just you and me, just like today, where sometimes it's going to be Q&A. Uh, get your questions in because I love Q&As. They're so much fun. And I feel like I can help so many people with them. So many of, of us, you know, have questions. And when one person asks a question, it you can totally relate to it. You can go, oh, my God, that's exactly my situation. Or it'll spark another question for you. So, um, so you know, these just you and me episodes are going to be partly Q&A and partly other things. Um, you know, whatever, whatever we got to talk about that week, that's what we'll talk about. So, uh, so that's going to be the standard format. The, the podcast is staying the way it is. The blog posts are going to be coming every other week instead of every week. So, uh, so there's that. And now I think we'll get into the Q and A. So here we go. Jill asks, why are my three kids awesome at swim lessons when daycare brings them, but when mommy brings them, I'm practically holding their hand in the water? And that's if they actually get in the water. We've been doing swimming lessons since March, by the way. Wow. Thank you for your question, Jill. It's a biggie. It's a big question. There's a lot in there. I think it really gets back to something pretty basic, pretty fundamental, and easily forgettable, which is expectations. I know, weird word, huh? For this? The short answer is, I think that your expectation may be that, that your kids are going to be scared or clingy, that they'll, that they'll need, you know, with you, they're acting like they need your hand in the water to get in the water. And um, whatever negatives count as not awesome for you, because you said that uh, daycare, daycare, they're awesome with daycare. So whatever, whatever they're doing that's not awesome for you is, is, because your ex because of your expectations for them, um, daycare expects them to be awesome. Daycare has no other, other, you know, frame of reference for them. Whereas parents, you know, how kids always behave infinitely better for somebody else than they do for parents. Well, I think part of that, and I know, I know the part of that. I know it from my own life. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not making these pronouncements without having lived through this. But um, our expectation is that. They will, you know, what if something goes wrong? What if they're scared? What if something? And they totally take that vibe. Kids take that and run with it. And then they are scared. And because they're scared, they're clingy, you know. So um, the short answer is 
daycare expects them to be awesome and you do not expect them to be awesome. And they react to whatever the adult expects. And uh, to illustrate this a little bit more, I've got to share about um, the difference between when my kids were small, between staying with grandma <laughs> and staying at home, living at home. And um, when they would visit Grandma Culp, Ben's mother, um, my mother-in-law, she's awesome. I, I hope she's listening because she's totally awesome. Hi, Grandma Culp. Um, when the kids visit grandma and when, and they did, they probably started visiting grandma, uh, for, you know, four or five days or something like that to give us a break. We used to call it camp grandma, uh, from the time that Max was maybe seven and Jay was three, something like that. And, um, I don't know how it, how I knew this, how I learned this, but there, there came a day where we were picking them up and all of their dirty clothes were in a bag. They were like neatly in a bag. There was a total spot for the dirty clothes. And I was like, why aren't the dirty clothes all over the floor? That's how they are at home. <laughs> like, that's what I was thinking to myself. And, and um, I asked my mother-in-law, I was like, hey, you know, how do you get the kids to put their clothes into, into this bag? And she's like, well, that's where they're supposed to put them. And then I, I was like, what? Like, that's what it is? Come on, that can't be it. But it was. And uh, and then I kind of watched them. So this is the last day. Like we would come to pick them up and sometimes we'd spend the night on our on their last day with grandma, their last day alone with grandma. And then we'd leave the next day. And from the time that Jay was three, so I mean really small, and Max was seven, they they started to develop these routines that I had never thought of developing with them. You know, that so my expectation is, for instance, that I have to get out the plastic cup open the fridge, get out the juice or the milk or whatever, the ice water, pour it into the cup, close the lid on the cup and and then hand it to them. Well, at grandma's, they would do all of that themselves. And I'm not even kidding. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I was like, why are they not coming to you with these questions? Like, why don't they, why aren't they saying to you, mom, you know, grandma, can you get me a drink or whatever? And the answer is because grandma's expectation was that the kids would get drinks themselves. So so when they got there, I'm sure she was like, okay, here's where your cups are going to be. Here's where the drinks are. Go to town. And I mean, talk about a difference in expectations that made a huge difference in, in, their, in their time together. Um, the kids were like really happy because they're, I mean, when we got there, they're showing us what they know. They were like, look, check out what I can do. <laughs> And I mean, they were so a little bit proud of like what they what they could do. And it's really because grandma's expectations were different than our expectations. Um, and I, I would not have believed it until I saw it with my own eyes. So I would just say, Jill, that little kids have us really well trained. You know, that's a place to start thinking about this. They their expectation, your expectations for them create their reality. And, um, you know, and that's I think I really think that's what will what gets to the heart of all this. And as for changing it, I think that, that, you know, it's definitely doable. It's, it's probably not going to happen like the, at your next swim lesson with them, but it certainly can be done. Um, I want you to start by thinking about your anxiety level. Like imagine you're heading to swim lessons with them. I bet your anxiety level is pretty high because what are you thinking about, right? You're thinking, oh God, am I going to have to help them get in the pool? Am I going to have to hold their hand? Like, you know, with three kids, if they're all in the pool at the same time, I cannot imagine <laughs> what that must be like. Um, you know, I don't know if it's that way if, or if you have like two on the side and one in the pool and you have to sort of do a 45 minute lesson and then another 45 minute lesson and then another one. I really don't know how it's run, but... But obviously, this is the thing to keep in mind. If it works for daycare, it will work for you. Like that is super important. 
that's the whole thing. That is like, that's the wizard behind the, you know, the little wizard behind the cloth. Um, you know, like from the Wizard of Oz, it's, it's, we can see we're, our eyes are dazzled by the big, you know, be afraid kind of thing. But there's a little wizard back there. And that little wizard is pulling the strings and you are the one who controls that little wizard. So think about your anxiety level as you're heading to swim lessons. And I will say that I think you can lower your, your, not your, you can't lower your expectations. You got to change those. You can lower your anxiety level by having a plan and sticking to it no matter what, no matter what kind of crying you get or, or whatever, um, pleading, you know, those little puppy dog eyes that they do so well, our little kids, um, no matter what decide beforehand your plan and stick to it. And now I think it's, we got to think about developing a plan for you. So um, I have a couple of scenarios because I don't really know how this works for you, but I'm wondering if you're ever in a position, are you ever in a position to observe how your kids are with the daycare at swimming without your kids seeing you? So that's the first thing. If you can, if you can watch them without them knowing that you're watching them, um, you can totally lift things that, that she does. So watch how the sitter lets them head for the water. Watch her body language. I'm going to guess it's a her. I mean, I don't know, like a lot of a lot of daycare providers are women. So so I'm going to go with her. If it happens to be a guy, you know, you can substitute in him. Watch how she lets them head for the water. You know, watch her body language. If you can, you know, listen for what comes out of her mouth and how the words come out of her mouth. And then start by just picking one, you know, n- take note of it all if you can, you know, four or five different aspects of what she does, but then pick one aspect of what she does and do it yourself. So if it's body language, just think like, you know, if are you hunched over the pool with a really anxious look on your face? Because <laughs> I would be, I mean, I've, this is the thing, I've never done swim lessons with my kids, but I, I can totally see myself conveying fear and anxiety. And if, if that's in your your posture and if that's in your facial expression, even before any words come out of your mouth, your kids know that. They totally know that. Um, so if you can just change your body language and just make your, you know, throw back your shoulders a little bit and um, uh, maybe don't have a big, huge fake smile, but but just make yourself think, okay, I'm going to be positive about this and just do that. So pick one aspect of what the daycare does and then do it yourself. If you can't watch her, then I think you should try one of these two things. First of all, if you can confirm with their swim instructor that you don't need to be physically present. And if that's the case, if you do not need to be physically present, then you cheerfully tell your kids at the side of the pool to have a great lesson, give them big smiles, and then leave the pool area um, quickly. Like, don't don't run, obviously, but do it in a confident kind of like, you guys are going to have a blast way, and then leave. Get out of the way. Let the swim instructor do their job. Or if you do need to be present, because sometimes for kids under a certain age, I think, you know, a lot of swim places say parents need to be present. Um, again, what you're going to do is you're going to cheerfully tell your kids at the side of the pool to have a great lesson. You're going to tell them you can't wait to watch them having fun in the pool or something similar. You know, you can come up with your own words. And then you're going to retreat as far away as possible. And you're going to allow the instructor to engage their attention. And then your expectation is to watch them having fun in the pool. If something happens that they're especially proud of and they catch your eye, give them a big thumbs up and a huge smile. Otherwise, you just try to continually give them the message that the instructor is the is their go-to person while they're in the water. Like, because a, a what they'll do, especially if you've got a pattern going, they'll be like, oh, no, I'm afraid. I'm looking to my mom. My mom is sharing my fear. Now my mom is back at the side of the pool. 
Uh, and again, I'm not saying this is going to be easy. This, this, I think if you can do this, it, like if just this one aspect of your life you can make better, then a lot of other things will get better. But it's, it's hard. It's hard because you've always been this way, right? This is a pattern that didn't just develop the first time you went to swim lessons. It's, it's because kids are so good at, at absorbing our fears and concerns, our mood. I mean, even if our mood is a happy, positive mood, they're really good at absorbing that too, which is the good news. But anyway, if you can, if you can do these kind of, uh, positive things, if you can change your expectations and you can do it consistently over a couple of weeks, I promise that what'll happen is the kids will start looking to you for the big smile and the thumbs up. And then they'll learn that the instructor is the person who can help them in the water. And I mean, that's, that would be golden. Wouldn't, how would that feel? Wouldn't that feel so great that you could be at swim lessons with them and you could be like, wasn't that great? And the kids are like, yep. I mean, that's, and, and what you have to keep in mind is that if they can do it with daycare, they can do it with you. I think it would be a very different story if, if it was a problem everywhere, you know, I, like I used to. <laughs> so when I was a third grader, how old are you in the third grade? Maybe you're like seven, seven or eight. So I was in a swim program in the third grade. And uh, it was it was at this big, huge pool, and um, I would not get in the water. Like there were there were weeks where I literally would not get in the water, and I would go home. My mother didn't stay for it. I think I think at first she just dropped me off because you know this was in the seventies, and what people did was they were like, okay, go have fun with your swim instructor, you know, uh, a lot more trust maybe. I don't know. And I would lie to her. I would, she'd pick me up and I, I, she'd say, how was swimming? And I would say, it was great. I jumped off, you know, I dived off the high diving board or whatever. And um, one day she decided to go and watch because she couldn't kind of couldn't believe. She was like, wow, I can't wait to see my kid jump off the high diving board. And I didn't even get in the water. Like my instructor could not get me in the water. And I remember afterwards, she said to me like, why didn't you, why did you lie to me? Why did you tell me you were jumping off the high diving board? And I said, And this was the truth. I said, you know, I thought if I told you how great I was doing, you wouldn't make me keep coming to swim lessons. And my mom was like, wow. (laughs) So I stopped going to swim lessons. And you know what? I, it took me a long time. I had to come to swimming myself. In fact, I didn't come to it until after I had gotten uh, this thing, tendinosis, which I got, uh, I started with about four years ago. And um, it's, I've, I've got a new description for it. It's, I think, I like to think of it as it's like fibromyalgia, except that it, it's not nerves. It doesn't cause, it doesn't cause pain in the way that like nerve endings cause pain, like in fibromyalgia, but it, it causes flare ups in my tendons and a lot of tendons. I mean, every tendon is vulnerable. Um, And the other thing is it's not an autoimmune response, at least, I mean, we don't think it is. It seems to be triggered by overuse, but then what happens is other tendons get also affected by it. So like when one starts to sink, a lot of them start to sink. So anyway, um, but it was only, I can remember when I had, I was, I was in a wheelchair. It was four years ago. Like I lost the ability to walk more than, you know, 20 steps or something like that. And a doctor recommended that I start aquatic therapy, pool therapy. And I can remember thinking, this is such BS. And I know I've said this on the show. If you've, if you heard the show, you've probably heard this exact, you know, part of this whole thing where I was like, come on, swimming is so stupid. Like, how is that going to help me? And I got in the pool that first day, like I limped into the pool and I had to push my leg to make it go backwards because the, the muscles were so atrophied. Like I could walk forward decently in the water, but I had to literally push my right leg to make it go backwards in the water. And when I, what I found was that every week I would have my 
aquatic therapy. And every week I would literally get out of the pool feeling stronger than when I got in it an hour previous. I couldn't believe it. I could not believe how much better I felt. And, you know, fast forward to today, I freaking love swimming and I feel so strong when I'm in the water and I just have such a good time with it. It's like, I feel that now, like, it's like skiing for me. You could not convince me to live without swimming. It's so great. <laughs> so anyway, um, that I feel like I got, I got off on a sidetrack there. But the reason that I brought it up is because my problem was not that I was great with my swim instructor and terrible when my mom brought me. Um, my problem was that I was terrible overall. I did not want to be in the water. I hated it, hated it, hated it. Um, you know, so that's a different problem, Jill, than the one that you're experiencing. But I really hope if you can change your expectations, I know if you can change your expectations, you can change the way that your kids respond to you at swimming. And that's, that's the goal, isn't it? So you got to report back, honey, you have to tell me, you got to tell me what happens, because I'm super excited. Um, I think, I think that's your answer, my friend. I hope it helps. I think it will. Um, I can't wait to hear back. So, um, so shifting gears. Now, uh, I, you know, I'm going to jump into a part of the show that I really was not planning on ever having to do a show on this. And I'm, I'm really sad that I am. Um, the title of this show is Podcast 17, our first Q&A and four ways to help your child cope with challenging situations. So our challenging situation this summer it has to do with the dogs, with our doggies that we adopted. I, I've um, I've talked about them through the magic of podcasting. Even after this episode, you will hear me talk about in a really super positive way about the dogs. Um, but, the, but the problem is that we adopted them about four weeks ago now. And almost immediately after we adopted them, I started to notice um, walking them became a problem. So I can walk and walk and walk with my with my tendinosis. I can walk until the cows come home. Like I could probably walk three or four miles as long as I'm doing it at a good clip and I'm not standing still ever. Standing is incredibly difficult for me. Like standing at the grocery store, standing, you know, in a bar or something like that. Like the bars. I actually, I actually record. I'm recording right now sitting on a bar stool because... I, it's like my, it's my standing, you know, um, everybody else is at standing height. I can be on a bar stool and I can be part of the conversation instead of sitting in a low chair. So anyway, um, yeah. So when you walk dogs, you do a lot of standing as I'm sure you can imagine. Um, you wait for them to go to the bathroom. You, you know, pull things out of their mouths. You, you wait while, you know, you're standing talking to other dog owners. We've met some amazing other dogs in our, in our little walks and, um, but the, what started happening was the tendons in my foot started bothering me. And then, uh, unanticipated by us in their first three weeks, we needed to spend, we spent about $1,800 on them and 900, half of that was on veterinarian bills. Like one night Tinkerbell, um, had to spend the night in the hospital, which was like $500. And, um, when I took them both to their first well visit, it was $475 for their first well visit. And I, I was so shocked. I was just so floored that I started crying in the vet's office. I could not help it. I just started crying and I felt so embarrassed and awful. And I mean, the people there were wonderful and they didn't make me feel bad. It was really motivated from inside. I, I just, I had not expected it to be that much money and it was just, it was just so horrendous. And then, you know, a week later, uh, Quint starts throwing up and, 
he, you know, throwing up is worse apparently than other GI tract symptoms in dogs. Like veterinarians are concerned about a dog that, that keeps throwing up. Of course, all dogs puke at some point, right? But, um, but he was throwing up frequently more than once. And, um, in the meantime, so, you know, we're spending all this money on their care. In the meantime, there is just a lot of care. I'm the adult at home. So I'm the one who is changing out their water and getting their food and cleaning their eyes and, and petting, even petting them, petting them is painful for me. Isn't that awful? Like petting them hurts my hands and arms now. And so the, the, the big, the big deal here is that through a full on flare up of tendinosis, which has affected both arms and one leg, one foot. Um, and, and the, you know, it's, it's, it's due exactly. My dad said it best. Um, he said, if you didn't have the dogs, would you have this relapse? Would you be having this relapse? And I said, no. I mean, like, that's the most incredibly logical way to look at it. The dogs, it's, this is so sad. The dogs have produced this relapse for me. All the pain, all the stress of worrying about like who's going to get sick next when, you know, is somebody else going to pee in the house or whatever. Um, and it, it's really, it, it comes with a lot of guilt. My sister-in-law, hi, Lena, if you're listening. Um, my sister-in-law emailed me this wonderful email where she said, it, it really sounds like you. She put words to my feeling. She said, it really sounds like you're feeling guilty about this, but you can't feel guilty about it. It's like if you had an allergic reaction to them. It's it's not something that your brain, you know, your conscious brain, it's not like you want them to, you know, cause a relapse. It's just happening. It's in your body. There's nothing you can do about it. And you have to, you know, not feel guilty about that. So thank you very much, my sweet sister-in-law um, for that. And I mean, that's been, you know, that's that Lena put it into words, but everybody that we've talked to about this has said, um, you know, just how how sad it is. And nobody's blaming me, I think. Even the kids, even the boys do not blame me for this, which I'm really, really glad of. Um, I do feel at fault. And and that's just a part of me that I, I haven't been able to get over yet. So the long and short of it is that we must give the dogs up. And it is just such a, su- it's been such a super sad decision. Um, and I think it's worse on like some days where like on Saturday we went to, we took them up on like, the, we had our first sort of family outing where we took them up to Mount Wachusett. We had already made the decision, by the way, everybody knew that this was going to have to happen. And we took them up to Mount Wachusett and Ben was there. So there was a person to do all of the physical stuff that they needed. But he drove, I didn't even have to worry about driving, which driving has become a problem again. And, um, you know, there's just like, we had this great, great day. And by Saturday night, I couldn't even... I just couldn't, I couldn't focus on reading. I couldn't, you know, um, I just, I just was really, really super sad and very emotional feeling like maybe we could, maybe we could, maybe we've made the wrong decision. Maybe we can keep them. Maybe it'll be all right. And then Sunday morning I get up and walk them and realize that I can't, (laughs) I just can't. Um, so we did, we made the super sad decision to give up the dogs and, um, and that's what's happening. Um, so that's the challenging situation that we're finding ourselves in. These dogs mean so much to our, to our kids and to us. And just to have to give them up for adoption is just, it's heartbreaking. I mean, there's no other word for it. I'm, my goal was to not cry on today's podcast. Um, so we'll see if I, if I manage that, but that is my goal. I'm going to try not to cry. I've cried every day for three weeks now and I don't want to cry anymore. Anyway, so, um, 
I've got four ways that you can help your child cope with challenging situations. Um, and, and I think they're pretty reliable because they're helping our kids. They really, really are. So the first way that you can help your child cope with challenging situation is to commute how you go about communicating the situation to the kids is number one. Um, I mean, you gotta, I keep thinking about, we just watched interstellar a couple of weeks ago. Again, actually, I love that movie. And, um, there's a part in Interstellar where one of the one of the astronauts says to the main character, the Matthew McConaughey character, she says something like, well, isn't it great that your 10 year old daughter, even though she's not here with us in space, isn't it great that like she knows that you're saving the world? <laughs> and, he, and he said, Matthew McConaughey says to her, you know what? Here's the problem with that. You can't tell. I can't tell her that I'm saving the world because you can't blow the mind of a 10 year old by telling her that the world is in danger like you can't you can't do that so communicating to kids when something terrible is happening uh you have to really be judicious about about when and what you say i mean the here's what we did basically we knew it was coming um we everybody could see you know when i'm when when i'm crying and i'm uh you know my eyes are red my eyes have been red my face has been super puffy for like three weeks and um, the kids know something's up. I mean, like my Jason, a lot of times what he does is if he senses something's wrong, he he starts giving what he calls stealth hugs. So he'll just fly at you and knock you over with a huge big hug. But he'll do it like 10 times an hour. And <laughs> I mean, you know, it's adorable, but it's also it's and he does it because he gets that vibe. Something's wrong. Um, so we knew that we could not leave them in suspense. And we also knew that we we really hadn't made this decision yet. So like there was a Friday where we said, listen, guys, we know something's up. We know that this is, you know, I'm having a relapse. We need something's got to give. And uh, we're going to give ourselves this week to see what we can, what we can do, you know, to make it better. And if at the end of this week, in other words, by next Friday, if they're not, if if my mental state isn't better, if my hands are not getting better, um, my, my foot, whatever, then we're going to have to make the decision to give up the dog. So in other words, we gave them some, some preparation. We didn't just say, boom, here you go. Um, we, we basically said, you know, this is what is happening. We want you guys to be in the know as much as possible. And it really opened up some really good conversations with both kids over the course of the week. Uh, I had conversations with them that really had to be had tearful conversations, but think like, so Jason asked, um, I don't remember what the exact question was, but it was something about like, what if they miss us? You know, I mean, isn't that a good question? And and so it, we got into this conversation of um, the dogs. The great thing about dogs is they do not dread. Animals don't have a sense of dread. Like they don't they don't worry about the impending whatever, unless a thunderstorm's coming or something like that. But that's because they're getting signals that something's up. Right. Um, so. The, you know, there's no dread or that kind of fear in a dog's life. And, and all they know is what's in front of them. And, you know, for this week, what we're doing is we are, we're being thankful that they're with us and we are giving them as much love as we possibly can. Um, and that's, the, you know, so anyway, think about how to communicate to the child the challenging situation. That's obviously going to change depending on how small they are. I mean, if it's a big deal, if it's like a divorce or something and you have a three-year-old, you're, you're going to approach it very differently. I mean, maybe, you, maybe you'd use words like, um, I don't know. I mean, I'm not in that situation, so I can't, I can't really say, but maybe you'd use words like, you know, um, 
maybe you wait actually until you've come to a decision, you know, an adult decision with, with your partner. And, and then you can say to the child, listen, you know, daddy's going to live across town. And that's great because you'll have, you'll, you know, you'll be able to see him there and me here. And, and, um, and we both love you very much. And this is how it's, you know, this is how we're going to try this or something like that. And then also, you know, giving the kid time to ask questions, um, whatever, like, so Jay asking, what if they miss us, you know, um, started a whole range of things that we could then talk about on his level. So, um, you know, so communicating to the kids is number one, keeping an open line of communication with your child. Um, and then figuring out how to help them through this. I mean, like once you, once you open that, uh, question, once you, once you open that communication, it goes both ways. So you have to figure out how to help them through this. And number two is number two of helping your child cope with challenging situations is help the child understand that you are all in this together. Like you're helping them through this, right? But they're helping you through it as well. You're all in this together. It's a collective thing. You have each other. Even if you're divorced, even if you're divorcing or you're separating, you have each other. Um, your child has you and your siblings and, and, you know, his siblings or her siblings and family and whatever. And they also have your husbands or, you know, your, your partners. So whether that's, you know, a man or a woman, um, you are all in this together. And as such, it's really great because you have each other. And you know what, you know, what has been a really wonderful thing about this is my kids have totally helped me through this. They really have. I mean, um, Jay's stealth hugs from those all the way up to like, be, me being able to talk a little bit about about how sad I'm feeling because because of this situation and um I mean it's it's been really really good now my kids are a little older you can t- you can tell a 14 year old you know um like, like it under what I want one day we were talking about how it's okay to be angry about it like anger is a feeling and it is okay to have anger right even little kids feel anger in fact they might feel it and not know what it is, they're more likely to have that happen than, than maybe a 14 or a 10 year old. And, um, I shared with Max, my 14 year old that I had started, this was one symptom of my situation. I had started feeling resentful when dad would drive away to work because I knew that he was going to be able to spend all day, not dealing with pain, not dealing with throw up, not dealing with pee or poop in the house, not dealing with, you know, um, sort of feeling all of this heaped on myself. And um, he really understood that as a way of, and so then he could, it left him with the opening of, you know what, I'm feeling angry about this, or I'm feeling resentful. Like, when you're sharing, it's okay to have these feelings. Um, You know, that's a really, really good thing to get them out in the open is a really good thing. Um, So make sure that you help your kids understand you're all in this together, be there for their tears and their questions, and make sure that your kids are there for yours. Because that's how, that's how this will get better, will get resolved. And I want to say too, um, especially in a situation like this, which is awful, right? It is heartbreaking and it's horrible, but it's not a tragedy. You know, it's more like divorce than it is like, for instance, death. No one has died here. That would be a tragedy. If, you know, if, if one of the dogs died or something like that, I think that would be much, much harder to recover from. Um, when my husband's dad passed away when he was eight, I mean, that was a tragedy. It was much more than awful. (laughs) 
Uh, but but his family was all there to help him through it. I mean, like these things work even if it's a tragedy, right? You're communicating to your kids, being there for them, helping them understand you're all in this together. Um, those are things that still work. But a, a situation like this, um, it's a non-tragic but awful situation. And it, it can actually, if you think about what's one of the major jobs of childhood, one of the major jobs of childhood is learning to surmount disappointments learning to handle frustrations, learning to handle grief, learning to, you know, grieve and go through this process. Um, a non-tragic but awful situation is, I mean, we nobody wants to be in this situation, but since we're in it, we can at least look at it that um, we're going to get through this. You know what I mean? We're not going to die because we had to give up the dogs. And it's a huge disappointment and it's incredibly frustrating. It creates anger and grief, but it can be gotten through. And um, I think that's a really important thing to remember. These are, they're awful life lessons, but they're nonetheless important. So, so that's number two, uh, help them understand you're all in this together. Number three is figure out how your kids can help. Kids want a job. They want to be helpful to you. They really, really do in any situation. I mean, God, you know, I can remember, (laughs) I can remember being a kid And uh, I don't even know how this came about, but every couple of days, my mom would shout, she would put her hand up to her, she'd be chopping vegetables at the kitchen counter. And she'd put her hand up to her forehead in that like, you know, oh, no, I'm, I'm lying on the train track, someone must rescue me kind of way. And she would say, oh, how I wish I had an onion. (laughs) And this was my little brother's cue to hop up from wherever he was, go downstairs to our basement find an onion, which we kept in the basement um, where it was cool, and come up the stairs and not just hand it to her, but roll it across the floor. So it would come to her from across the floor and she would go, look, an onion. Oh, thank you, onion man. It was the cutest thing ever. And I mean, that's a job for for my brother, right? That that is like a, it's a job. Um, Kids need jobs. They need to be able to help. They're part of our family continuum. I mean, like giving a a child the job of helping somebody else gives them empathy, gives them um, a feeling of power, of empowerment, and and just kind of knits the bonds of love together even closer. Um, So yeah, that's why number three is figure out how they can help. In our case, our boys are helping. So we're lucky in the sense of we don't have to give them back to the shelter. Um, I've described tendinosis as when I'm in crisis with this as a slow motion crisis. Like if I handled it last week, I can probably handle it this week, maybe not next week, but at least I can handle it for now. Right. Um, I cannot have them forever. But what this means is that we don't have to give them back to the shelter and and think of them in, in a cage, you know, with people who don't know them while they're being fostered, while they're being adopted. Um, the keyword there is fostered. So what we can do is we can fo- we are going to foster them until they are adopted, which hopefully will be soon. I mean, you know, the kids obviously would wish that it could be forever, but it can't be. And so we're hoping in the next week or two. Uh, in fact, this is going to air. Oh, talk about super sad. This is airing on their birthday. So I guess this this episode is a bit of a of a you know an homage. What there's a better word than that. It's a uh, it's a it's a cheers kind of to our wonderful dogs, Tinkerbell and Quint, um, seven and eight pounds and absolutely adorable <laughs> and wonderful, wonderful, wonderful dogs. Um, by the time this airs, they will probably not be with us anymore. 
uh, because they are really super in demand. They're hypoallergenic. They're small. They're they're housebroken. They're you know they've got all these traits about them that people love. Um, plus, they're just awesome dogs. So on on their first birthday, when this airs, uh, they will most likely be somewhere else. And until they go somewhere else they will be, we will be able to foster them. Um, so the shelter is, uh, the shelter is kind of vetting the people. They're, they're calling references. They're, you know, asking all the important questions they They need to fill out the same application we filled out pretty extensive. And, um, and then they will get in touch with us when somebody wants to come and meet the dogs that has been vetted by them, by the shelter to, you know, be eligible. So Max and Jay, are going to help choose Tinkerbell and Quint's next people. They're going to help the new people understand the dog's schedules, where they like to be rubbed or petted. You know, Quint really likes his, he loves his belly rubs and his eyes just go all glazed over. It's so darn cute. And Tinkerbell likes under the chin. She likes to be, you know, she likes to just curl up on your lap and just be there. Um, We asked the kids, we didn't say to them, you got to help, right? I mean, you can't do that. So in figuring out a job for your kids and how they can help in a challenging situation, Think about what, you know, what are they capable of and give them the option of not doing it. Like you can't make them do a job. Um, So we are not saying to them, listen, you got to shake the hand of these people that are going to meet them, uh, you know, take them away from you and, and you got to like it kind of a thing. We're saying to them, listen, the new owners could, the new people, we're not calling them owners, actually. We've been trying to think of them as their new people. Um, Tinkerbell and Quince new people could really benefit from, from all your knowledge of them. Like when they see you with the dogs, they're going to have a really good idea, a much, much better idea of how to, how to be with them. And we really want Tinkerbell and Quint to have the best. If they can't be with us, they need the second best. So uh, we're really, we're helping the kids think of themselves as guardians for a time, as for kind of short term guardians. And that brings me to the fourth one, the fourth way to help your child cope with challenging situations. And this one is because so many of these situations have to do with loved ones departing, you know, in some way. Uh, And so we want number four is talk about how people, creatures, we think of the dogs as people because, you know, they kind of are. They have personalities and everything. So we're talking to them about how people come in and out of our lives and how sometimes they're not meant to be with us for a long time. And that's okay, you know. It's super sad, but it's okay. We're better off. Here I go. Sorry, guys. We're better off for having Tink and Quint in our lives. Even if it's just for a short time, we're so much better off having had them for a month than for not having them at all. I mean, right? <laughs> um, it's much, much better that we got to know them. I wouldn't trade that day at Wachusett, even though the end of it was so, like that night was so tough for me. I wouldn't trade that day for anything. We had so much fun at Wachusett. And, um, you know, they are, they still are our dogs, even if they're not with us. So sorry, guys. (laughs) I'll collect myself now. Anyway, people come in and out of our lives and that's, that's how life is. That's how it is. And, um, what we can do is we can, number four really is just remembering the good when somebody's gone out of our lives, just remembering the good things about having them, because that's what that's what life is. You know, it really is that. So, uh, so once again, the four ways to help your child cope with challenging situations are the following. Number one is communicate with the kids. 
communicate about the challenging situation on their level, whatever you can do. Um, that's number one. Number two is help them understand that you are all in this together and just how important that is. Be sure that you're there for their tears and their questions and that they, that you, they are there for yours. Um, number three is figure out how can your kids help. Give them a job, any job. It maybe their job is stealth hugging. <laughs> Give them a job. And number four is talk about, um, just met, remember them. Remember the people that come in and out of our lives and, and uh, think about how much better off we are because of having them there. And that's pretty much what we've got time for today. I really, uh, I'm really glad. I mean, I'm super sad about this, but I'm glad that I, I'm so glad that I have, you know what? The funny thing about a podcast is feeling like I'm talking to you and, and in doing so, my grief is lessened a little bit because I know that there are caring people out there who are sending me virtual hugs. So any virtual hugs you can send to me, I love, I love, and I really believe that I feel them. I mean, I appreciate them so, so much. Um, so yeah, so thank you for letting me share, you know, even this super tough thing. Um, if you've dealt with something super challenging with your, with your kids, um, I hope you'll get in touch with me and tell me about that experience, partly because then I can give you a virtual hug. You know, the, the value of sharing is, key in life. Um, we can understand each other so much better when we share even tough things. So, um, and if you have anything that, you know, is, uh, is, is fun. If you have a, if you have a question, you know, about parenting or tough situations or kids or anything else, um, please ask it because I'll answer it on the next Q and A, which will be so cool. Um, you can find me at Karen at weturnedoutok.com or you can go to the website, go to weturnedoutok.com slash contact. I'm on Twitter at Stone Age Techie. I'm on Instagram at We Turned Out Okay. And um, I'm on Facebook as well. My Facebook name, like I, I'm, I'm kind of struggling with Facebook. I'm having a really hard time. I feel like people are not able to get into the group, which is really tough. People want to get into it and they can't. Um, so I might, you know, I might actually have to kind of I don't know, stop the group or something like that and come up with a different group, rename it. I don't know what I'm going to do. So anyway, in the meantime, please friend me. It's Karen Locke Culp. Um, it'll be so nice to meet you on Facebook. And it would mean the world to me if you leave me an iTunes review. iTunes ratings and reviews are so key to helping other potential old school parents find us. You know, we're the enlightened now, right? We we are the old school parents. And um, helping others find us is... What iTunes really likes is when people rate and review and they, they will take a well-rated and reviewed show and put it in front of more eyeballs. Um, so that means we can have more old school parents. So, um, you know, please, please leave me a review. I'd, I'd love that. Um, and thank you very much in advance. Um, and let me just say how grateful I am that you're here with me today. The fact that you have me in your ears right now means so much, especially on a day where I'm, I'm talking about something so, you know, so cutting close to the bone. It really means a lot that you, you know, you've, you've listened right to the end here and I just feel your support and I just want to thank you so, so much. And, and finally, a uh, special thanks to our producer, the man who is so photogenic that it just dazzles my eyes. 18 winner, blah, 18 time winner of the husband of the year award, Benjamin Culp. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will see you next time. Hey, everybody. Uh, I'm back <laughs> just quickly at the end of this episode. I wanted to give you all a little bit of an epilogue. Um, it's now 
Thursday morning, the week before the show airs, and I recorded the first part of it, the the biggest part, obviously, um, or I think on Monday, the day we really pretty much we knew the dogs were going up for adoption and that kind of a thing. And um, so I wanted to talk about two things. One is in reference to the pooches, our little babies, and the other one is in reference to Jill's question. Um, but I'll get into the pooches first. We'll end on a on a high note. Although I have to say, I mean, it's not as bad an ending as it could have been. So what happened was the shelter, uh, they knew we, we obviously, I think I said in the previous part of this, that we were fostering the dogs. We, we would, we felt that we'd be able to keep the dogs for at least a little while, just knowing that we weren't going to have them forever. And the shelter people, rather than put them up on the web so that, uh, you know, basically anyone could get them or whatever. Uh, They did a really neat thing, which is they have a list of people looking for the kind of characteristics that they have. So uh, they, you know, somebody who's looking for a small dog or um, a hypoallergenic dog. We were actually on the hypoallergenic dog list. And what happened was there was a woman who was on that list named Amanda. And she, we, she and I got in touch, I think on maybe Tuesday, they met the dogs, she and her parents came and met the dogs Tuesday afternoon. And I mean, everybody got along really well. Tinkerbell definitely has this habit of barking madly at men she doesn't know, especially men. And so she did that for, you know, 10 seconds or whatever. And then Amanda's dad became her best buddy. So uh, or one of her one of her new three best buddies. And basically, they live really close by the dogs will be together and there's even the chance and we hope it's, you know, a good chance that we'll be able to see them sometimes. Um, which, I mean, all of which worked out, I thought pretty well. I mean, there's kind of a happy ending here. Not that we're not sad that they came and picked them. They came and picked the dogs up. They took them home last night and gosh, it's been pretty heartbreaking around here. Uh, but it will get better. And, and, uh, if you're listening, Amanda and your folks, Mr. And Mrs. Thompson, I just want to say, Thank you um, from the bottom of our hearts for for just being such a great family. And we could tell, I mean, right, I could tell as soon as I was talking to to you, Amanda, but also we could tell as soon as we met you, you all that, that there was a, you know, they couldn't have gone to better people. We know you'll love them and, and, and care for them and all that good stuff. So, so thanks very much. And everybody, I just wanted to let you know that, that this, this did have a, you know, a good ending. Uh, not ideal, but I think probably what I felt yesterday as they were leaving, maybe not quite as they were leaving, but soon after was was kind of a, a lot of relief. I, I mean, it's been, you know, it's not for nothing that I'm relapsing here. It's been a lot of, there's been a lot of physical pain and uh, and just the mental pain of, of, you know, that kind of howling that, that maybe you've experienced when you just knew that something in, in your life was not sustainable. You know, I mean, this was just not, my body could not keep it up. And so, so there definitely is some relief, you know, it was really hard to come back in the house and uh, not see the gates, you know, and not see, uh, Quint has this habit of sticking his little head between, we have this like metal railing inside and he would always put his head, you know, between the bars of the metal railing. And, uh, you know, it was funny not to see that. It was peculiar peculiar funny not funny haha but yeah just hanging on to this idea that they're they're together 
they're close by, we could see them and they're, they're going to be really, really well cared for. So um, thank you to everyone, by the way, who has given us hugs, even if they're virtual hugs. I mean, they count just as much. Uh, who has, who has, you know what, you know what I really want to thank people for is not, <laughs> this might sound weird, but tendinosis is one of these invisible diseases. So in other words, I look perfectly normal. I don't look like there's anything wrong with me. I'm, you know, a few pounds on the heavy side, I guess, maybe more than a few pounds on the heavy side. But, uh, you know, I don't look, I'm not in a wheelchair anymore. I don't have deformed hands or missing limbs or anything like that. I look normal. And someday, maybe it'll be today, actually, I'm going to search the hashtag, you don't look sick and, and just see what I come up with. Because I'm sure that I'm not the only person who's ever had the idea that someone is looking at you when you've just told them that you have this debilitating disease and they're like, you don't look sick. You know what I mean? Anyway, what I, I guess the reason I bring it up is because I have not felt that vibe from anyone connected to this at all. Not the shelter people, not the new adopters, not any friends or family that, that I've told. Um, so I just want to thank you all for that because it's, you know, it's certainly been a tough situation, but to know that everyone around me is not thinking, you know, what the hell is your problem? <laughs> because I don't look sick. It's invisible. It's invisible sometimes even to me, which is just a freaky thing to think. For instance, on Saturday evening, we took them out to Wachusett. And I know I talked about that. We we had like this wonderful family outing, kind of a golden thing. And uh, that night, I had Ben had been around all day. I had not had any pain because Ben's dry, doing all the driving. Ben's doing all the preparation of food. He's he's walking them. He's, you know, he and the kids are, are taking care of the dogs. And I, Saturday night into Sunday morning, I was like, wow, maybe we could keep them. Maybe we don't have to give them up because I wasn't in pain, right? So that's what I mean. It's And then as soon as I started, I, I took him for a walk. With, I decided to go out for a walk with Ben on Saturday morning. And I mean, even my wrist, you know, my elbows started hurting as I was, as I was walking, like, it's not, it's, it's so invisible that it's even, in, can even be invisible to the person who has it until they're back in pain. So anyway, just be, be kind to the people in your lives who tell you that something is wrong, even if you can't see it. Okay, so, so that's one thing I really wanted to share with you guys was the happy ending here with our doggies. And the other was that um, I'm speaking right to you now, Jill, and, and everybody who was listening for the answer to the parent Q&A at the beginning. I literally stopped recording the other day, and I was thinking to myself, you know, it's funny, I've never, we never did swimming lessons in a pool. And I said that I said, we've never done swimming lessons, right? But we have done swimming lessons when my Max, who's now almost 15, was well, probably five, six, seven years old. I think there were three summers where he went to swim lessons, but they weren't in a pool. And so I totally forgot about this. They were at a lake. We have a lake in town where you could get, you know, reasonably priced swimming lessons. And they lasted for five weeks, five days a week for five weeks. It was really cool. And he, I think he enjoyed them. But here's the thing. And this is what I could not remember. I couldn't believe that I had forgotten was there was there were, I don't know, two and a half years or whatever, two and a half sessions of five weeks, five times a day, five times a week, where I was there at the edge of the lake. And I was looking at my boy and I was worrying about him. And what was my expectation, Jill? You know what it was? You totally know what it was. It was that he was going to be afraid and need my help. 
right? And there came this one day where a friend picked him up to go to swim lessons. I think I had like a doctor's appointment or something. And I showed up at the lake later, sort of in the middle of his swim lesson. And I get to the lake. And this is after two and a half summers worth of, I can't put my face in the water. I'm afraid to put my face in the water. Uh, So he wouldn't, he was refusing to do this thing called a bob, which everybody who swims, whatever, knows what a bob is, right? It's when you get your head all the way underwater and you come back up and you have to do, take a breath and you do it again. So bobbing was a huge problem for him. And he, he'd actually learned a lot of other great swim skills. He just never put his face in the water. So two and a half summers of this had, had taught him some fun stuff and how to swim and that kind of a thing. But he, there, no one was making any headway with this bobbing. So, so comes this day when I show up at the lake <laughs> and I get out of my car <laughs> and my kid is bobbing up and down in the water like boboing. Like he did it 20 times in front of my eyes. I could not believe it. And guess what it was, everybody? Jill, especially, it was the expectations of the people around him. And apparently what they did that day was they said, listen, if you can't bob today, you have to go back to the group of three-year-olds who don't get, you know, who hardly get in the water. And, And I wasn't there. Like I wasn't there to, you know, sort of whatever. Do the hand wringing at the edge of the at the edge of the water. So he only had himself to rely on, and he did fantastic. And Jill, so will your kids. So so just keep that in mind. Keep the, your memory of me like <laughs> freaking out by the side of the water, and then this day comes, and there he is doing his thing. Like the one day that I wasn't wasn't there, and I believe I truly believe it's because I was not there. So that's uh, that's my story. <laughs> It really is. Talking to Max about this, too, it's been really funny because, I mean, he's been a, he's been an avid swimmer now for like seven years or something, seven or eight years. He loves, loves, loves to swim. And he, you know, he's he'll he'll sort of jump in and or, or you know, use diving sharks and go nine feet down or whatever. He has no problems with with swimming and or getting his face in the water, I guess I should say, or bobbing, whatever. And it's, I really take it back to that day when I had the, I don't know, good fortune to not need to be present or to not physically couldn't be present at swim lessons. So there you go, everybody. Uh, Once again, thanks for listening so much. Um, I like, I really have felt your support through this whole doggy thing. And it's been, you know, right from the excitement at the beginning and all the way through to the, the love and the and the positivity that that we've been feeling uh, right here through through the end, but hopefully it's the end with a kind of epilogue, you know, where we'll we'll still they'll be able to be in our lives even if I cannot care for them. So, all right, I guess that's it. You all have a great Tuesday or whatever day you happen to be listening to this in the real world, and um, we will talk to you soon. Bye. for listening to We Turned Out Okay. I want to date to Australia. Find us on the web at weturnedoutok.com where you'll find show notes and more. What do you call cheese that's not yours? Nacho cheese. 
And remember, we only go around once. To be the best parents we can be, let's relax and enjoy the ride. I want to pee in the woods. Theater, 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 theater,